the Operations Leadership Podcast with Gautam Basu provides insights for today's business leaders on creating value through operations improvement, process excellence, digital innovation, and organizational leadership. This episode's guest is Linda Johnstone Sorensen. Linda is an international business operations leader based in Oslo, Norway. She has extensive experience in process improvement, quality, health, safety, and environmental operations in the maritime shipping, energy, and engineering sectors. Linda is a known global subject matter expert in something that's called human factors, which she goes into detail during this conversation. In addition to this, she goes deep into several topics related to the dynamics of the maritime shipping industry and its impact on global trade, the effect of COVID on global supply chain flows with a maritime logistics component, human factors related to the maritime transport industry, such as shipping crew performance, safety and well-being of these shipping crews, as well as the environmental impact of the industry and provisions to combat the negative consequences to the marine environment. And last but not least, she also discusses the drivers of adoption of new technologies within the shipping industry. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Linda. Hello, Linda, and welcome to the Operations Leadership Podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Gautam, and thank you for having me. Excellent. So I thought to get started, Linda, if you could tell us a bit about your background and experience, that would be great. Will do. So um, I started out my academic career uh, really with a, a keen interest in psychology and thought I wanted to kind of work my uh, work my way through clinical psychology um, and uh, and then decided not to as I uh, got, got further into that field. Um, however, I retained my very deep curiosity uh, around what makes people uh, sort of tick. Uh, why people perform well in certain situations and, and not so well in others, and of course, naturally in um, uh, in sort of work-related environments, uh, particularly complex and safety-critical environments. So I, I took this interest and developed it into a passion for man-machine interaction mm-hmm. uh, and, and human factors, as it's known to people in the know. Um, and to those that are unfamiliar with this domain, this is a field that sort of sits in the cross-section between psychology engineering and design. Um, but whilst it might not be a field that many people relate to on a day-to-day basis, in actual fact they do because it underpins you know, the development that we've seen in, in um, user interfaces. Uh, you know, Apple would not be Apple without the thinking that goes into design and, and uh, user-friendliness and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also see it uh, cutting through in, in more complex um, industries such as um, uh, offshore oil production, control rooms, um, and of course, the self-driving cars and, and all the rest of it. So um, this interest really uh, led me to do a PhD uh, where I focused on situation awareness in teams uh, with the sort of the, the, the angle was to identify the mechanisms of successful teams in, in safety critical environments, looking at specifically uh, how well-performing teams uh, develop situation awareness uh, whereas um, you know, not so well-performing teams do not uh, or, or do so to a lesser degree. And then uh, after achieving that uh, PhD, I, I worked a bit in academia, 
um, but then joined industry first as a consultant and now more recently uh, I work in the maritime domain as head of health and safety, environment and quality and human factors. Wow, that's very interesting. And you also, uh, if I understood, you did an executive MBA at London Business School as well. That is correct. That is correct. Wow, impressive. Um, great. So maybe a, maybe a question, Linda, on um, this maritime shipping. So maritime shipping industry, it's, it's a good benchmark for global trade flows. So could you tell us a little bit of how the market has been developing in the last few years, especially in light of post-COVID and perhaps the recent geopolitical conflicts? conflicts? Mm. Yeah, certainly. Um, and I would agree with you. Uh, maritime shipping is certainly a good benchmark for how global economy uh, and global trade is doing. Um, and in, in many ways, it's impossible to talk about sort of post-COVID uh, in, in certain aspects because it's still really uh, uh, early days. But um, delving into the pandemic years, um, I, I, I don't know if, um, you know, everyone's reflected on this in the same way. But if we look at the numbers at the time the pandemic um, caused the, the, the closing of borders around the world, we saw an instant uh, plummeting of, of world trade volumes in fact, down 21% between March and April 2020. Um, and um, it was a simple effect of, of, of the virus spreading, leading to borders closing, leading in turn to international trade slumping. Um, and that, for people on the inside of the maritime industry, uh, was, was actually quite scary. Uh, we didn't know whether there would be cargo to, to, uh, to, to transport around the world. I mean, of course, energy is, is, is one side of the coin that where you don't necessarily see an impact directly from from um, uh, from COVID, but certainly in terms of other other cargoes that we uh, that we carry, like containers and and cars and and such. Um, and in order to give you a, a proper flavour for why this figure is so dramatic, we have to compare with an equivalent period, which was during the financial crisis, uh, where we saw the highest monthly drop was eighteen uh, percent between September and October uh, two thousand and eight. So in fact, that 21% drop uh, March to April 2020 is, is the largest that have been sort of recorded. So that shows you how dramatic it was. And we were obviously on tenterhooks. Um, mm. But it was really short-lived, surprisingly. Um, so we thought that, you know, demand for goods would dry up. Um, and it was the, the reverse. Uh, money just flowed into different uh, goods. Um, so containers have, as we've seen, become very sought after and there's a shortage of, of, of containers uh, with an impact on, on uh, uh, bottlenecks in, in ports. Uh, um, of course, in the US, as we see, Long Beach being, being a significant um, problem, but also in China. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, we certainly see um, those bottlenecks persisting. Um, and many of those are due to pandemic measures. Um, you know, factories are unable to produce at the levels that they did prior to the pandemic, um, just from having to close down uh, production whilst the, an outbreak is being dealt with or um, increased numbers of, of illness in, in the workforce and so on. So it's really having an impact on, on the recovery that we see on a, on a global scale. So in some, in some ways, this sort of continues to worry us um, uh, and does have an impact as well across shipping segments, not just singular uh, segments, but across the board from oil and gas through to container transport, because of course, 
if production goes down in, in factories, then energy needs go down as well, but also the output, uh, the actual goods um, go down. And so there's not uh, as much need for, for, for the transport of, uh, of those goods around the world as well. So it's a complex picture. Um, and certainly we see that sort of the, the zero COVID strategy in, in China. Um, and of course, we are not the only ones that, that are saying this, but um, it is a concern that that, that that strategy remains in place because it has such knock-on effects across uh, across the boards, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very interesting benchmark for, let's say, trade flows. And... Mm-hmm. Um, understand that the com- container prices have also been kind of quite volatile at at one point it was something like 20 or 30,000 uh dollars per 40 foot container if i mm. i wasn't mistaken but are logistics companies and shippers are they still using maritime assets such as containers or ports as cheap storage facility due to the, perhaps the trucker haulage shortages or long dwell times? I mean, what's the situation there? Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say cheap storage facilities anymore, but but certainly you're, you're, you're quite right. Um, it, it remains the case that you can see a, a huge backup of, of uh, container and other types of cargo vessels that supply goods, um, whether that's whole, uh, whole foods or, or, or other goods. Uh, to ports around the world, they are they are just queuing up, um, and the reason for that is is sort of uh, a, a complex set of, of factors as well. I've mentioned a few of them already: um, access to workers, workers being off sick, um, access to goods themselves, um, the change in in consumer demand for particular uh, bits of kits uh, or, or goods mm-hmm. uh, have also changed. And then certain things have not changed, like the infrastructure in ports um, with, uh, with some equipment being quite old and indeed equipment on board the vessels in some cases also being um, unable to handle the volume that's being uh, demanded, uh, shifted. And then I guess, um, which would be uh, an interesting debate um, under the guise of operations and logistics is whether the, um, the way in which we sort of purchase uh, goods at the moment you know we, we order to our homes we order uh, with fast delivery times and expectations uh, around that whether the whole sort of supply chain is geared up for that because a lot of um, the infrastructure is around uh, transport of, of goods via the sea to larger hubs um, and those hubs were geared up to and warehouses were geared up to deliver to um to other larger entities, such as a large, uh, um, you know, retailer or, or, or similar. Whereas now we're looking for a um, a much more diversified network of of uh, transport once you get to the shore side. Um, and what what I think we can see in the ports is that 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 hasn't developed to the same extent, and so isn't able to to help uh, kind of remove the backlog. So you'll have containers sitting in, in ports in the U.S. for seven days before they are moved beyond where they've been taken off a vessel and, and sort of been stored in an interim fashion. Um, and because of that, we can't bring in further vessels to offload their containers. And so you see these vessels sitting um, in in the harbor, just waiting to, to undock their cargo. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, you mentioned something interesting regarding the infrastructure. So what is your view 
on, for example, uh, investments in logistics infrastructure, such as uh, ports, airports, even the highway systems, the road uh, mm-hmm. network. Do you see that there is, let's say, a need, um, at least in the developing countries? I mean, the U.S., uh, they've talked about uh, infrastructure plan, investing uh hundreds of billions uh, into updating and upgrading the infrastructure in light of, for example, these uh, consumer expectations of home delivery and lost mile logistics uh, solutions that will be seamless from a uh, trade perspective. So do you see that there is this trend in investing in logistics infrastructure? Uh, I, I see that there is a trend on the, on the fringes. So there is exploration around the use of drones and, and, and other bits of kit mm-hmm. to help deliver um, sort of the last mile parts of the supply chain. Um, but in terms of uh, the maritime side, um, there is a um, sort of, I, I've used the word backlog, so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll have to use it again. But there is yep. a backlog of, um, of sort of investment in, in better um, offloading infrastructure. So we obviously... In, in the sense, uh, use cranes and, and other things to take the cargo off the vessel and onto the shore terminal side uh, mm. in the ports. But that too requires an upgrade um, and perhaps more effective ways of, of dealing with it using newer technology. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly also the infrastructure on the on the shore side requires uh, improvement and, and an upgrading. Um, so that's on the uh, sort of the starting point of, of what is then a uh, quite an intense distribution from from when you take the cargo uh, off a vessel and get whatever kit it is that you've ordered by Amazon or, or another service uh, into your hands. Mm-hmm. So um, there will have to be ways of looking at that infrastructure investment as well in, in terms of road, um, uh, potentially more drones as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the... The ability to, to sort of have that uh, done uh, and what that should look like is, is a bit blurry at the moment. Uh, and part of the reason for that is because there is some uncertainty, as, as far as I understand, in terms of whether this is going to be short-lived or if it's, if, if it's sort of the new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, the, the word banded about uh, is, is called the great disruption. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. But whether that remains uh, true in, in a few years' time or, or not, it's hard to see. There certainly is um, a significant pressures in, 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 in all the little nodes across the system. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting insight there. Um, maybe switching gears, uh, you are an expert, as you mentioned, in human factors and specifically around this uh, QHSE or quality health, safety, and environmental function. So could you tell us a little bit more about this uh, QHSE function as mm-hmm. it relates to the maritime shipping industry? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, QHSE or um, health and safety has been a part of the industry uh, for decades now. Um, and there's a you know good reason for that. The shipping industry is a, is a dangerous industry. Um, if we roll back to 2003, Shell, um, the oil company, uh, looked across the, you know, their suppliers in the maritime domain, and they saw that there was a 
serious incidents. And when I talk about serious incidents, uh, I'm uh, meaning things like fires, explosions, uh, serious injury to a person or even a fatality. And that such a serious incident took place every seven days. So I think that's wow. that's actually worth the pause because that is often. So every seven days, there'd be either a person uh, injured um, or or another highly undesirable event taking place. Um, so that was back in 2003. And the industry at that point uh, took some concerted efforts to, to really do something about the safety performance uh, and improve it. So there has been a lot of systematic work, which has you know, had effect um, since then. So that number has been reduced to a serious incident every 65 days or so. Um, and that's obviously still not acceptable. Um, you know, we, we talk about a goal zero uh, for, the, for the industry, um, but it is, it is a, uh, a huge change for the better, of course. Uh, so I think health and safety, along with a few other things, is, is certainly part of what we could call the ticket to trade. Um, any ship owner or, or ship management company will basically be evaluated by their customers and stakeholders on their ability to keep the seafarers safe. But not just the seafarers, it's also about the societies that you that you serve or that you uh, transit through. No one wants a, um, uh, an environmental spill or um, anything of that nature happening outside of their own shores. Um, but at the end of the day, what we're, what we're trying to achieve is that uh, a seafarer goes home safely at the end of their contract. Um, and that is, that is what we're being measured on as well. Um, but of course, the, sort of the flip side of, um, of safety, uh, coming from my perspective of man-machine interaction and, and an interest in knowing what makes people uh, work better <laughs> together in some instances than, than others. Uh, so for me, safety is just the opposite side of the coin where you find performance uh, on the other side of that coin. Um, and what I can see is that we place greater and greater expectations on the teams on board the vessels uh, in terms of how they operate the vessels. We expect um, quick and effective turnaround times in ports with associated penalties if things aren't working as they should. Uh, of course, uh, safe navigation, but also uh, fuel efficient um, navigation so that you your voyage is as, as effective and optimized as it can be in terms of the amount of fuel you consume. One reason for that is, of course, the emission side. We don't want a lot of emissions. The other side is um, the cost uh, incurred in, in, in the fuel. So obviously, there's a, a desire also to reduce the cost. Um, so again, that, that places a lot of increased uh, pressure on the seafarers on board, but also increased awareness in the industry on, on the role of human performance. Uh, and with that comes a lot of other useful uh, things, like an understanding that you know the human is uh, composed of of positive and negative sides uh, or limitations, if you will, and that we can mitigate those either using technology or um, or other tools in the toolbox. Um, and that that's a you know a positive thing for someone like me with my skill set um, means that I have uh, something to contribute. The other thing that's sort of arising now as a an important area is crew well being. I mean, obviously, what we see from the pandemic is that the the crew is done an enormous job and it has had a toll on their mental well-being uh, and that in turn is a is an area that we we highlight um, now again I can give you another figure I mean the shipping industry is um, associated with a suicide rate six times higher 
than any comparable land-based industry. Wow. So uh, those numbers are also, uh, um, well, they they can be compared to back in 2003. And I think in some ways it's, it's, it's another turning point for the industry, knowing, knowing that it's something that we can't uh, accept and therefore we have to do something about it. So human uh, performance, crew well-being, and and sort of my field, human factors or human elements, is, um, is is getting traction. And that all sits under the QHSC function. Um, so, uh, I mean, obviously, naturally, the E stands for environment as well. So I guess it wouldn't come as a surprise to anyone listening that um, uh, there is a continued interest and an increasing one in preserving, you know, the marine environment. And, and, and there's regulatory framework that is very much tightening around that that area as well. Not just carbon emissions, but also emissions to 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 sea. So that means ballast water treatment uh, systems and and the like. Uh, and for those that don't understand necessarily uh, off off the bat, what that means, it's basically making sure that uh, water that you take into your ballast tanks to stabilize the the vessel as you sail. You might have little cargo. Um, you you're going to pick up cargo somewhere. Um, and so you you take seawater from one area of the world um, in order to stabilize. Then you pick up your cargo and you have to remove that seawater so that the vessel isn't too heavy. But of course, that seawater might have creatures in it, uh, bacteria, viruses, all sorts of things that could contaminate um, the um, the waters that you're currently in. And so there's a lot of expectation on how these things are handled, uh, where things like ballast systems comes in. Uh, and that all falls under the uh, QHSC um, umbrella as well. Um, so basically what I'm saying is that I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fascinating because, uh, you know, taking these human human factors into play and balancing this um, health and safety um, measures with overall performance efficiency mm-hmm. measures, I can imagine that's quite a trade-off. I'm interested because you're mentioning that there used to be, let's say, a serious incident every seven days. And now that is, um, I think you mentioned 65 days, once in 65 days, something like this. Mm-hmm. So what actually happened there? Were, was it a, as a function of more visibility from the crew side? Was it policies that were implemented? I mean, what kind of created that step change uh, uh, performance in, in mm. health and safety? Um, I think it was a obviously a number of things, but the most important was um, an expectation coming from basically the supply chain. So, of course, uh, from uh, the ultimate stakeholders, like investors being, being one source, but of course, um, there's an increased awareness also in the general population where we as consumers choose to spend our money uh, with companies that we feel have uh, value sets that we approve of. And that very much translates to our customers as well, who might be, uh, it could be an oil major, uh, or it could be um, someone wanting us to carry some of their goods. So let's take a container vessel as, a, as an example, uh, mm-hmm. just because that must more relatable perhaps but if we um uh, sail across the sea and we lose most of our containers to water that's a pollution issue um in some instances you know what's inside the containers could could be a bit problematic but even if it was um you know laptops or or, or the like we don't want them at the at the bottom of the sea um and so if you're uh utilizing hp or uh, apple and apple is 
given us the contract to take their um, take their you know electronics uh, on board a, a container vessel and and through unsafe navigation we lose uh, a lot of cargoes overboard. Um, there might be a consequential sort of reputational damage for for the original client, uh, Apple or whatever, that they have been uh, somehow involved in a, in a in a polluting incident. Sure. So I think from from that point of view. Um, expectations rose that we would not have these things. And of course, you can think of major instances in, in oil and gas, like uh, the Deepwater Horizon tragic incident uh, and, and other similar incidences, Piper Alpha and so on, that had not just consequences to the people that were involved um, doing that, uh, you know, doing work that day that were injured or, or sadly lost their lives, but also to the marine environments and the societies that were living off of fishing and, and, and so on. So there's an increasing um, expectation or, or perhaps um, unwillingness to accept the negative sides of, of doing what's um, sort of work in high risk or ha hazardous industries. Um, that paired with an, a greater understanding in the industry around what is it that makes people uh, and systems fail. So if you think about a, a um, taking an engineering approach, a system might have certain uh, fail guards and 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 so on and and you have the same with humans. Um, you know you have the captain with his responsibilities, but you also have his team around him when he's navigating that are there to do specific tasks. And as a whole, they um, they look after the navigation of the vessel, and their job is first and foremost to make sure that that vessel navigates safely. Similarly, if you look at the engineers um, and um, and any other team on board the vessel as well, they have their functions. And as a as a collective, uh, they are supposed to act as barriers against anything going wrong. And greater understanding around that, but also understanding around the human's limitations. So advance of regulation around rest times um, that a person should have uh, adequate sleep and rest um, in order to be able to perform their duties in a safe manner. Uh, has also contributed. So I think it's um, it's that sort of uh, dynamic that we often see in, in a lot of industries as well when things change. Um, and we see it now with ESG, um, which is a slightly different topic, but still that there is an expectation coming from the sort of the paying end of, of, of the system, uh, which helps um, uh, cement the, the, the changes that might have been ongoing anyway, but um, certainly gets a bit more traction when when there's a, a risk of losing business, for instance. Sure. Makes sense. Great. That's fascinating. Um, maybe another change of direction. Um, so how are maritime companies, um, how are they leveraging digital technologies um, such as advanced analytics that are AI-based or even blockchain or IoT, or Internet of Things, or or even autonomous ships. Um, how are they leveraging these technologies, and what are the kind of current drivers for the industry to adopt such technologies? So, is there any kind mm -hmm. of hidden uh, driver sets underpinning this adoption? Um, I think I'll start with the drivers first. So, I think the drivers are um, the usual suspects. Um, it's cost cost cutting. Um, so obviously to optimize the, the, the sort of bottom line um, by, uh, by, by making sure that you've uh, spent your dollars in the, in the most efficient way. Um, the other driver is uh, environmental. So decarbonization, 
uh, ESG. Um, and and then uh, sort of the final one is, is safety. If we use that as a, as a kind of um, overarching and I then lump things in with safety like human element related aspects, um, improving performance of the person uh, and so on. So if we look at those, then you can see on the cost side that there is an, uh, you know, a, a desire to utilize technology like blockchain, um, perhaps to be able to take out some of the um, manual processing that we still see in the industry. So as an example, um, you know, the bill of laden is still a piece of paper um, that gets stamped and signed by somebody. Uh, it doesn't need to. It could be uh, kept in, the, in, a, in a blockchain. And some companies like Mersh have started to uh, experiment with that. Um, and I think in due course, we'll see more use of, of technology like blockchain taking care of some of the manual um, things. From my point of view, that's a, um, that's a really positive uh, development because we also see in certain parts of the world that there is an element of um, uh, taking advantage of perhaps paperwork not being uh, perfect and if the paperwork hasn't been stamped in the right order or stamped by the right entity um, there is always the threat of, of, of various fines that may or may not be legitimate um, put it that way and um, you know these these type of issues uh, that relate to corruption and 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 so on is something that the industry is is uh, desperately trying to weed out entirely uh, and that would certainly help um, in terms of um, the cost side, as well as uh, the environmental side, the drivers on on sort of the digital side is um, on the one hand a need to have data, uh, so to be able to collect data uh, to a greater extent. We put sensors on board that tells us what's going on with various equipment. Uh, obviously, very interested in in consumption of energy from each piece of kit. Um, be that you know the engine itself or or, or the accelerator engines or, or whatever it might be, we're very interested in, in in getting that data. But then of course once you have the data, you need to make sense of it. So we use um, uh, data analytics software to be able to um, you know create trends and and forecast and underpin our decisions. Um, and those decisions ultimately are things to do with the day to day. Although um, I have to say we're still lacking some of the software and, and sort of user interfaces that allow us to take data that has been processed uh, and feed it back to the ones that are kind of doing the day-to-day -day on board the vessels. And I'll, I'll make that more kind of, um, I'll make that come alive by, you know, giving, giving an example of driving. So say you're driving your car and you have um, an app on your phone that tells you that the way you're driving currently with this, you know, this uh, speed, is um, you know not fuel efficient. If you were to slow down uh, a little bit, you know one or two kilometers uh, on the speedometer, you would uh, you would be saving uh, x amount of fuel. And at the moment, all we are uh, doing is that we're capturing data on fuel consumption, but we're doing it sort of after the fact. So what we're moving towards is to be able to do it in real time and then feed back to the vessels, um, so the ones that are driving <laughs> or sailing. Um, to feed back to them that, you know, what you're doing currently is not optimal from uh, a set of parameters that we've determined. Um, and in that comes things like Internet of Things as well. So we want um, various sensors to be able to talk to each other um, and not just feed into a cloud that goes into a data warehouse that goes um, on, a, on a screen or a dashboard. Um, so there's a few loops to, um, to plug. 
But if I look back, I've now been in the industry uh, for some years, but uh, just just winding back four or five years, there's been an enormous amount um, that has happened uh, in terms of digital developments in the maritime domain. Uh, most people would probably say quite rightly because we we have been lagging behind, uh, no doubt about that. But um, equally, it is a, a reasonably conservative industry where, in you know, if you if you break it down, it's not overly complicated. You have a vessel, it picks up cargo and it delivers it to a predetermined place. Um, the complexities are, uh, well, not not related to that. <laughs> it's related to machinery breaking down or. Uh, or other things uh, going wrong. And so just to kind of carry on with the, the third driver around safety, as I mentioned, there's uh, you know, an expectation that um, at least you know, professional serious ship owners and ship managers um, are safe uh, places to work and, and, and good places to work. But there's an awful lot of expectation that gets piled on the, um, the seafarers as well. Um, in terms of maintenance of equipment and, and registering uh, data, um, uh, writing reports and so on. So what we're seeing currently is um, technology emerging around uh, support for, for, for that. So, for instance, um, uh, digitalized um, applications that allow you to go through uh, an inspection of a vessel and to do that on your iPad or your phone. Uh, and then just submitting that document when you've completed uh, a predetermined set of uh, of sort of inspection areas and, and steps, um, and and training, you know, feeding back to uh, to the seafarer again, uh, utilizing digital technologies to train them better, um, and again to avoid uh, incidences occurring, you know, being able to give them quick overviews of of complicated jobs that are to be done. And, uh, and highlighting the hazards involved uh, in those jobs and so on. So there's quite a bit of technology that are, are uh, being developed in those areas, as well as also on the crew well-being side, um, software that aims to support the seafarers and, um, and their mental health as well. Mm -hmm. Wow. This has been a, a really insightful and enlightening um, conversation, Linda. So I want to thank you very much for your uh, insights and, 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 and thoughts on the maritime industry, as well as the um, health and safety function, human factors. So thanks so much for joining us on the Operations Leadership Podcast. Thank you, uh, Gertam. It's a re real pleasure to be asked to, to attend. Thank you for having me. That's it. For this week's Operations Leadership Podcast, we hope you enjoyed it, and until next time.